Hey there, Pastor Allen here. Thank you so much for checking out this message from Praise Assembly. Our prayer is that it is meaningful, purposeful, and that the Holy Spirit speaks to you personally through it. If you find it helpful, would you consider supporting Praise Assembly? Just go out to our website at praise.church and hit the Give Now button in order to support this and other resources we are making available. This message is a part of a series called Idols, Honoring the Giver to Better Enjoy the Gifts, in which we are discussing what it looks like to make sure that God is first in our hearts. May the Holy Spirit use this in your life. We've been talking about idolatry, uh, which seems like kind of an antiquated uh, subject, and yet at the same time so important for right now, in this moment, in this day. Um, and so far, I have just uh, just witnessed as the Holy Spirit has been doing some really cool things at praise and doing some new things. Even this morning, man, if if the Holy Spirit wasn't speaking to you during worship, you're going to have another opportunity for him to do that. Um, and I guarantee if you listen, he will speak. Um, we might not feel as if we have like idols. We don't have like physical representations of idols that we put up on our mantle, right? So, so when we talk about idolatry, sometimes we can go, yeah, that's really not so much for me. Um, but at the same time, we do have idolatry absolutely everywhere, right? And so even as we dive into a subject like this, it can seem antiquated, but even though we don't have a household God that everybody can see when they walk into our house, often our households will have a God, and it's just not him. Often there is something that we aren't talking about, but that is there, right? And in our culture, we have, we have gods everywhere, right? That's the norm. That's not abnormal for us to have a, a, an idol here and an idol there. But just because it's ever-present doesn't mean we pay attention to the fact that that thing has stepped into a place of idolatry, which is really what this whole series has been about, is trying to figure out those things. And sometimes I do wish it would just a little bit easier. I wish we had physical representations of some of the idolatry so we can just say, make a an actual decision to remove that thing from the mantle and say, we will not worship this anymore. And so while we might not have physical representations, we do have generative AI, which can share with us what maybe some of those might look like. Uh-oh, here we go. See, some of you might not have a little shrine to apple in your home, but this is what it would look like if you did. It would be right there, right in front. I don't know what's going on with some of it. Generative AI is kind of weird like that. You don't, <laughs> whatever. But some of us would be right there. Or some of us would have a bronze Stanley quencher. Oh. No matter how hard I tried with generative AI, I could not get the straw to be straight. Like I kept telling it, no, that's a bendable straw. Stop, make it straight. And I couldn't get a handle on the side, so I just stopped there. I said, quit. I'm just going to go with it. This is a, a, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. You are not missing a thing, okay? But here's the deal. The other day, Liz and I didn't have the kids, and so we thought, hey, we can have fun. And um, no, 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 that came across wrong. So we had a moment to ourselves, and so we went out to eat, and we went to a nice restaurant. This is the weirdest thing, right? So we're at this really nice restaurant, and right next to us are, are two friends who are having a dinner together, and both of these ladies have Stanley quenchers on the table. And even two months ago, that would have been a massive faux pas to bring your own drink to a nice restaurant. You do not do that. And they never once drank out of them. I watched like I wanted to film them surreptitiously under the table. But it was so strange. They had their quenchers sitting on the table declaring to all, I am in this cultural moment. I have not missed everything. I'm cool and I know what's going on. I'm just saying, this is real stuff. Like weird little things that we do as a culture that make no sense outside of the fact that our culture says this is what's important to do in this moment. And so we do. 
Anyway, Stanley, Quench, uh, Stanley Quencher. All right, so that's, that's maybe just more the women, so let's not just go after that. Um, I struggled to get AI to generate Coach Andy Reid on behalf of the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> this is what I got. I asked for a big coach with a frozen mustache, <laughs> and, and, and here's what we got. We went through several iterations to get there, uh, just so you know, um, but, but some of us have an unhealthy relationship with Coach Andy Reid. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay. All right, let's get real. Some of you like ranch dressing way too much. How, who's that? Come on, don't hide it. You put ranch dressing on everything. Come on, get the hand up. Let me see it. Let me see it. You know who you are, or you know who your loved one is. You buy the ranch in your house, buy the gallon, anybody? Okay. One idol that I want with everything to tear down is Crocs. I thought we killed that idol 15 years ago, but this is the idol that never dies. It keeps coming back. Anyways, Crocs, all right. A little too close to home for a moment. All right, here we go. Tacos. You know who you are. <laughs> Food actually is a pretty big idol in our culture. I, I'm not going there because that's a little too close for me. Um, but food is, without a doubt, something that has been elevated to some sort of strange place in our culture. Um, but I'm going to point the finger at everybody else for a moment. Trucks. See, I've been delivered from this. I no longer use internal combustion engines because, you know, the Holy Spirit has so worked in me. That, that now I drive a Tesla, and there is no way a Tesla could be an idol. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. But we all easily can get things out of alignment, right? And little things can become big things, and some things are jokes, but there are some big areas where easily the best of things can supplant Jesus Christ in our heart. Last week we talked about you can tell typically when something supplants Jesus as the source of our significance, our security, or our satisfaction. Those three in particular are a really huge indicator for us to say something is wrong. If you missed it, you can check it out. Our podcast is now available on Spotify and Google Play and all the other ones as well, not just the Apple-based platforms. Um, so as far, as far, though, as specific idols we talked about so far, we did talk about our phones, right? And, and a quick update on No Phone February. There are now 123 families who are participating in No Phone February. Let's go. Of those, there are 39 casual heroes, 44 brave hearts, and 40 digital ninjas. Okay, so do you want to know who is, however, the most underrepresented group in um, No Phone February? Most underrepresented group in signups, people over 60. And I don't know why that is. I'm serious. I don't know why that is. It may be because they don't need it. You don't need it. I don't know. Or maybe you don't think you need it. But what I do find interesting is the people who are most likely to participate are those, uh, the ones who are embracing the challenge are those who have the most to lose by embracing the challenge. I think it's really interesting. I just, just an interesting thing I noticed. So it's not too late to sign up. You still can. Um, there's a link in the message notes also on, under Next Moves. You can find it there as well. So we talked about phones. Last week we talked about money, and I had uh, a great song to introduce that. Uh, this week we are talking about sex. And man, I searched for even one song about sex. There's just nothing out there. Not a one in our whole culture. And if you can think of one right now, you need to get saved. <laughs> so, no, I, I, 
Like, if there is anything our culture is obsessed with, it is sex. You can find songs about sex. And we did have, uh, as part of the phone part, we had the No Phone February Challenge. Last week with the money, we had No Money March Challenge. And without any instigation, I want you to know, I received so many suggestions for what April could be. I'm just saying, knowing that we were talking about sex today, people were sending unsolicited, okay, sending me messages. My favorite of all of those was, no action April. So, um, there you go. I will say this, the Bible does talk about, from time to time, that there may be a time for us to fast sex. Um, And there are some very specific guidelines the Bible puts around that because sex is such a a big part of our lives and um, yet at the same time, there, there are guidelines that are put all around fasting it because Scripture understands that we can quickly have an obsession with sex, right? We idolize and and really, our culture is unapologetic about its idolization of sex. Um, you do find songs that are just, we, we, we bow at this altar as a culture without any second thought, right? Um, and our sex idol has its own commandments. If you do not bow in the right way, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace, right? Um, so it's everywhere, and I was talking to somebody on Thursday about this. Even just this week, I was, I was talking about how, like, it used to be that it, as long as you didn't venture into the unsavory corners of the internet, that you would not, like with your reputable websites, get advertised to with scantily clad or nearly naked women online, right? For me, though, if I go to KY3 or ESPN now, like, the ads are all sex, and I used to think they just got me pegged, right? Like, but then I was looking at it on Liz's phone because I was avoiding using my screen time. And, uh, <laughs> and like she was getting the same ads that I was. Like it's not subtle. It's not simple. It's, I mean, it's just, it's not complicated. I mean, it's just like easy. You just do this. And as a culture, we are obsessed. And, and this is exactly what Romans 1 said would happen, by the way, which is something that I've referenced a few times through this uh, series already. In fact, today I want to turn there. R- Romans chapter 1, I want to read a good chunk of it, or at least a, a chunk of it, because, man, this, where we are today is exactly where Romans told us we would be if certain things happen. And I, I need to say right up front, this is not an encouraging chunk of Scripture, okay? Like, I have not walked into somebody's house and they had Roman one, Romans 1 on the wall. Like, this isn't the chunk of Scripture you greet people at the door with. This is a, a serious look at what if sex gets out of control, but it's not even just that. What if idolatry gets out of control in a culture? What will that look like? And you see that in Romans chapter 1. And so I'm going to jump in in verse 21. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. And this is exactly where we are. Okay, so here's what it says. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds uh, became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Okay, so what we're about to read now after this is a downward spiral for a culture, okay? And even as you see this downward spiral, I want you to see before we get there what could have headed it off. Because right at the very beginning in verse 21, he says, he says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And I love and have recognized for some time how important that one verse, Romans 1.21, is. If they had worshipped God and given God thanks, if they would have started there, then everything that follows would not have happened. But it did. 
The thing that could have headed it off was worship and gratitude. Gratitude and worship are far more powerful weapons than you or I realize. What we do in here during worship this morning, what you did in worship is powerful. And when you do that, when you lead with that, when you lead with gratitude, it can head off a ton of things that are downstream. This is true. This is real. This is powerful stuff. Because worship is a weapon for preemptive strikes. Lead with worship. And if you lead with worship, there may be battles you don't even have to fight down the road. Right? Are you getting that? If they would have worshipped, if they would have given gratitude to God, then this whole downward spiral wouldn't have happened, but they didn't. And so they end up in this downward spiral. And this is for us the case. This is why Jehoshaphat had the worshipers out in front. Like, there is something about when we lead with worship that you will not have to fight some battles downstream because you started there. Gratitude's the same. Gratitude, I believe, guards us in future fights, which means that if you read those two together... Worship is a weapon for preemptive strikes, and gratitude guards us in future fights. Come on, somebody. I'm a poet, and I didn't even know it. No, I, I really didn't know that it was going to rhyme. And then I'm like, oh, I like that. But it's true. Gratitude, if you begin with gratitude, I mean, this, these two things alone are worth the price of admission for this morning, right? These two pieces, and when we start talking about sex, I will say every time I have had to or not had to, I have talked about sex. There's like this sense of shame. There's a sense of shame for so many different reasons because people are involved and all, I mean, and have had all kinds of experiences. And that shame keeps us from worshiping him. And yet worship is such a powerful weapon. Why do you think the enemy works so hard to keep the people of God in shame? Because if we worship, then we won't be fighting a lot of these battles where he's going to be getting us down the road. Worship is a weapon for preemptive strike. It's a beautiful tactic of the enemy to keep us caught in shame, to keep us from worshiping. So when you thank God in advance, when you, when you worship him in advance, I believe it sets you up in the battle that will come. I'm not saying it's going to fix everything. I am saying that defense wins championships. So set it up. Be grateful. Say, God, thank you. Lead with worship and see what happens downstream as a result, right? But when you remove God, the problem is the result is not just no God, right? Because we were made to worship. We were made to revolve around something. But when the star collapses, what's left? A black hole. You still are rotating. It's just you're going down and getting sucked in in the process. G.K. Chesterton said it like this. When man ceases to worship God, he does not worship nothing. He worships anything. That's pretty good. That's a great quote from a Christian. Now let me give you one from a non-Christian. This person's an atheist um, who started recognizing that as God was removed from our culture that there were implications and impacts that were unexpected at first. And, and so just wrote a book about it called The Denial of Death, and then died. Um, but got a Pulitzer Prize because it was so good. And so this is from an atheist perspective. Get that. Okay, it's, it's going to be a good chunk. So buckle up, buttercup, turn on your brains. Here we go. Because here's what he started noticing. Let me, let me do this as a setup. He started noticing in particular that when God was removed to the culture, from the culture, we kept using God language and mapping it over other things. Specifically, he started noticing it with romance and with sex. So, for example, he started noticing apocalyptic language in the way we talked about romance and sex. Stars fall out of the sky when lovers meet. Earth's earthquakes when their lips meet. We have soulmates, right? Romances will last forever and ever, amen, until the waters dry up and the sun refuses to shine. That is apocalyptic language. And so he referred to it as apocalyptic romance. And here's the quote, okay? It's decently long. Love you anyways. 
Modern man, by removing God, edged himself into an impossible situation. He still needed to feel heroic, to know that his life mattered in the scheme of things. He still had to be specially good for something truly special. Also, he still had to merge himself with some higher self-absorbing meaning in trust and in gratitude. If he no longer had God, how was he to do this? Well, one of the first ways that occurred to him was the romantic solution. He fixed his urge to cosmic heroism onto another person in the form of a love object. All spiritual and moral needs now became focused in one individual. Spirituality, which once referred to another dimension of things, is now brought down to this earth and given form in another individual human being. If you don't have a God in heaven, an invisible dimension that justifies the visible one, then you take what is nearest at hand and work out your problems on that. But sex is a disappointing answer to life's riddle. And if we pretend that it is an adequate one, we are lying both to ourselves and to our children. He's not done yet. When you confuse personal love and cosmic heroism, you are bound to fail in both spheres. And this double failure is what produces the sense of utter despair that we see in modern man. No wonder, how can a human being be a God-like everything to another? No human relationship can bear the burden of Godhood, and the attempt has to take its toll in some way on both parties. If your partner is your all, then any shortcoming in him becomes a major threat to you. This is the reason for so much bitterness, shortness of temper, and recrimination in our daily family lives. We get back a reflection from our loved objects that is less than the grandeur and perfection that we need to nourish ourselves. We feel diminished by their human shortcomings. We're getting close to the end. Our interiors feel empty or anguished, our lives valueless when we see the inevitable pettinesses of the world expressed through the human beings in it. For this reason, too, we often attack loved ones and try to bring them down to size. We see that our gods have clay feet, and so we must hack away at them in order to save ourselves, to deflate the unreal overinvestment that we have made in them. After all, what is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to the position of God? We want redemption, nothing less. We want to be rid of our faults, of our feeling of nothingness. We want to be justified to know that our creation has not been in vain. So we turn to the love partner for the experience of the heroic, for perfect validation. We expect them to make us good through love. Needless to say, human partners can't do this. The lover does not dispense cosmic heroism. He cannot give absolution in his own name. Redemption can only come from outside the individual. Do you hear from somebody who is a proponent of removing God, the cost of removing God? Do you see in the voice of an atheist someone who says, there are uncounted costs to what we have done? And wait a second, Maybe we should pause and reflect about what the results are. When we collapse the star we orbit, we still orbit, but around a black hole. The difference is we are sucked down and destroyed. Worship is a weapon, weapon for preemptive strikes. Gratitude guards us in future fights. Verse 24. So God abandoned them, the ESV says, handed them over, okay? Abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. He gave them over. The result was a vast sexual sin. Now, I want you to know that Paul was not talking about sex here. Sex was not a part of the discussion before he got to this point. But for some reason, idolatry and sex in the brain of a human are tied very closely together. You find it throughout history. Even when the Israelites for the very first time made an idol, when Moses was up on the mountain, he comes back down, they had cast a golden calf using their jewelry. 
It says they sat down to worship, and then it says they rose up to play. We don't really know what that word play means. Lots of people have lots of definitions. One thing is clear, that it involved pleasure and a making of God the way they wanted God to be so that it could justify that pleasure. Idolatry and sexual pleasure tied close together throughout history, even in the Old Testament. No one quite knows what Asherah poles were. We know in 1 Kings chapter 15 that they're called obscene and actually another place as well. Ezekiel says that they had turned every corner of every city into little Asherah poles. And we don't really know what it means, but there's an indication at least somewhat that it might have been some sort of phallic symbol that it was tied to in those high places were places of some sort of sexual idolatry in particular. The Greeks, the Corinthians in particular, but the Greeks in general, they would have temple prostitution. A part of worship was bringing young girls and young boys, for the Greeks in particular, and having sex as part of some sort of religious rite. Okay? So this has been the case for some time. Like, in fact, through all of history, idolatry and sex have almost always been tied together to some degree. Now, here we need to pause because gratitude guards us. And so we need to take a moment and just thank God for the wonderful gift of sex. He gave sex as a wonderful gift for his people. He did. And historically, the people of God, if you look in Scripture, were not prudish about sex. Okay? There's a whole book in the Bible that if I were to read it and do what I do with Scriptures, kind of walk you through exactly what's happening there, I would get fired because it is a wonderful celebration, does not mention God once, wonderful celebration of human sexuality under a covenant covering. Okay? So this is a beautiful and wonderful, incredible gift that God intended for that relationship. Now, when it gets outside of what it was intended for is when there is trouble. Right? And here I want to read another passage. We'll come right back to Romans. But I want to set this up with one of my favorite psalms of all time. If you pray with me, you will inevitably hear me quote it. Psalm 115. Rich with beauty and love and just incredible worship, right? Uh, not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. It says in verse 1. But I want to read specifically verse 4 through verse 8 to set something up. Here's what it says. Their idols are merely things of silver and gold, shaped by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak, and eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear, and noses, but cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel, and feet, but cannot walk, and throats, but cannot make a sound. In other words, these idols can't do a thing, right? That's what idols are, inanimate. They are not even on the level of humanity, and yet we worship them as gods. Now here's what it says in verse 8. And those who make idols are just like them. Literally, it says, they are made just like them, as are all who trust in them. You make an idol, and then it makes you. You make an idol, and then it makes you, which may seem simple, may seem trite, but it is very, very true. Let me give you an example. Let's say I set money as an idol in my life, which, of course, I would never actually put something up on my mantle, but if I did, it would look something like this. Typically, instead, what happens is subtly and slowly, I start to find my significance and security and satisfaction in it. Maybe not intentionally, but it happens. Most of the time, we don't sit down and decide, money's going to be the thing for me. But slowly, subtly, it happens. So let's say I do that. Let's say I make money an idol. I make money take that place of providing me significance, security, and satisfaction. That idol then makes me. What I mean by that is it turns me into a number. Right? If I say I'm going to find my value in money, that idol then makes me a number. What is my value? My value becomes a number. 
My significance becomes a number. And when the number goes up, my value goes up. And when the stock market goes down, my value goes down. Anything we make into an idol will dehumanize us, make us somehow less than we actually are. My value is not a number. I am made in the image of God. My value goes far beyond what some bank account says. So the moment I make money an idol, that idol then makes me. It diminishes me. When we make an idol of anything, it diminishes our humanity. When we make a lesser thing my God, my God makes me a lesser thing. Right? When I turn my phone into an idol, it then turns me into clicks. We live in the attention economy. You are the product. Your attention is the product. You and I are being commodified and sold to the highest bidder. So we are fed a series of images and messages that are designed for one purpose, to keep our attention, nothing else, to keep our time. We are being fattened up for auction. The moment you make an idol, it then makes you. So how about sex? What happens when we make sex an idol? Well, that sex then makes people into objects. That's what Romans says. One verse uh, 24, I'm going to read that again. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. He gave them over to it. He gave them to it. And then what it did was it, as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. People are degraded. Here's the thing. The goal of life is not sex. If you don't know that, it's not. Paul says that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of our life is love. The goal of marriage is not sex. The goal of marriage is love. And the moment we reduce it or change that is the moment that we then are reduced as well. This passage continues on, verse 25, and says, They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And then it continues after this and gets into homosexuality, gets into bestiality, and the downward spiral continues. Sex, when broken from God's plan, makes us into slaves. Just as we will worship, we will serve something, we will serve that thing. And that thing will destroy us, which is exactly what anybody who has ever gotten caught in pornography will tell you. I remember as a child, I grew up in a home where there were no magazines and no videos for me to stumble across. Thank you, Dad. I love you, and I'm thankful for that. But when I was in seventh grade at school, I had a friend, never told my parents this. In fact, I've only told my wife and my father-in-law. When I was in seventh grade, a friend of mine brought me a page that he had torn out of a magazine of his father's. He showed it to me. It was the first time I had seen a naked woman. And I wanted it so bad. I offered to buy it, but I had no money. So I went up to the local gas station, stole two packs of gum, brought it back, and bought that image from him. I brought it into the house. And I can still to this day, if I want to, recall what that image was like. Every man my age has to battle at some point with pornography, and our children will too. It's unavoidable. I think we can put safeguards in place. We can have no phone zones in the home. We can set filters on the internet. We do that at our house, but it's like water. If you want to find it, you will. It will always find the crack and slip through. It will, right? It's not enough to just protect. But even as I talk about the picture from a magazine that was torn and walking into a gas station, the teenagers in this room, picture that in black and white like I'm Opie, right? (laughs) Somebody recently said, and it's true, a young man in America can today see more naked women in five minutes than his grandfather could see in his entire lifetime. Can I share a few stats with you? Here's a few, most staggering. 
84% of 14 to 18-year-old boys have viewed pornography. 57% of 14 to 18-year-old girls have viewed pornography. Almost all boys and more than half of girls have at some point viewed pornography. It has become the normal experience of minors to view adults having sex through a screen. I just looked at a report from this last month of the most visited websites in the world. Number one is Google. Number two is um, YouTube. Number three is Facebook. Number four is a porn website. Number five is a porn website. Billions of views every single month. Number six, Twitter, Wikipedia, Instagram, Reddit, Amazon follow. More people are going to those two porn websites than are going to Instagram or Amazon. There was a a study that was done in the University of Oklahoma that tied porn use to a decline or an increase in religious doubt and a decline of importance of faith in somebody's life. And yet the cry of our culture is that all of this is good. Sex is just another appetite like food. Let's eat and drink and be merry. C.S. Lewis responded to that 100 years ago when the thing was, Uh, striptease acts on on stage. He responded, here's what he said. Suppose you come to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate on the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see just before the lights went out that it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon. Would you not think in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? One critic said that if he found a country in which such striptease acts with food were popular, he would conclude that the people of that country were starving. And it's true. We are. You see, when all of this was happening, when the porn revolution was happening, specifically with making it digital and available in the late 90s and early 2000s, on your phone, on the internet, There was a cry of alarm that went up that, man, this was going to turn men into rapists and just get sexual desire out of control, which has happened in some ways. I've seen the experience of that. I have watched as that sort of thing has wreaked damage in lives of people I love. But on the whole, that's not what happened. In fact, there's a feminist. Her name was Naomi Wolf. Again, atheist. And and the reason why I'm sharing these quotes is because it speaks to a deeper recognition that the polls are coming back and the early results are not good. Right? And so this feminist who had championed the sexual revolution in the 70s and 80s and 90s of women specifically has said, okay, there's some things we're seeing now. These people are not basing it on scripture or Faith. This is what they are seeing in the culture. Here's her quote, and again, it's a long one. Here we go. When I came of age in the 70s, it was a pretty cool, it was still pretty cool to be able to offer a young man the actual presence of a naked, willing young woman. There were more young men who wanted to be with naked women than there were naked women on the market. If there was nothing actively alarming about you, you could get a pretty enthusiastic response by just showing up. But does all this sexual imagery in the air mean that sex has been liberated? Or is it the case that the relationship between the multi-billion dollar porn industry, convulsiveness, compulsiveness, and the sexual appetite has become like the relationship between agribusiness, processed foods, supersized portions, and obesity? If your appetite is stimulated and fed by poor quality material, it takes more junk to fill you up. People are not closer because of porn, but further apart. People are not turned on in their daily lives, but less so. The young women who talk to me on campuses about the effect of pornography on their intimate lives speak of feeling like they can never measure up. They can never ask for what they want, and that if they do not offer what porn offers, they cannot expect to hold a guy. Young men talk about what it's like to grow up learning about sex from porn and how it's not helpful to them trying to figure out how to be with a real woman. Mostly, when I ask about loneliness, a deep, sad silence descends on audiences of young men and women, young women alike. They know they are lonely together even when conjoined. 
And this imagery is a big part of that loneliness. What they don't know is how to get out, how to find each other again erotically face to face. Other cultures know this. And I'm not advocating for a return to the days of hiding female sexuality, but I am noting that the power and charge of sex are maintained when there is some sacredness to it, when it's not on tap all the time. In many more traditional cultures, it's not prudery that leads them to discourage men from looking at pornography. It is rather because these cultures understand male sexuality and what it takes to keep men and women turned on to one another over time. To help men in particular to, as the Old Testament puts it, rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. These cultures urge men not to look at porn because they know that a powerful erotic bond between parents is a key element of a strong family. That is an atheist feminist who championed the freedom of sexuality in the 70s and 80s, quoting the Old Testament saying something is wrong in our world. We are starving. And all those predictions didn't come true. On the whole, the opposite has happened. Men are actually having sex less. Real sex is not enough to get them going. Libido has actually decreased, not increased. Why? Because the thirst is still there. It just can't be met by the real and best thing. It's like we're all the woman at the well thirsty, caught in a cycle of thirst. And Jesus is standing in front of us and say, come to me, come to me, all who are thirsty. Let me tell you why. Because the best gifts make the worst gods. The best gifts make the worst gods. As a gift, sex brings connection. As a God, loneliness. Gift, pleasure, God, emptiness. Gift, satisfaction, God, slavery. Gift, intimacy, God, separation. Gift, unity, God, divorce. It's a beautiful gift and a tyrant of a God. He is the God who is the king of taking you further than you want to go. Master at pulling the bait and the switch on you. And the stories you find in scripture of the greatest failures of the greatest heroes are often tied to sex. You find it over and over and over again where one decision has ramifications that are far, far reaching. It's serious stuff. So what's the solution? Well, men have been trying to figure that out for a while. In fact, much longer than you might imagine. There was a guy, a church father, whose name was Origen. And Origen, who was a genius, this guy was very smart. Theologically, some of the most profound things that you can imagine came from this guy. He realized that he needed to deal with this. So he decided to literally cut off the problem. He castrated himself. Now, some people, some people look at the old church councils and say, oh, that was just a bunch of politics. I am very thankful for the council of Nicaea that said, let's not do that anymore. Like... Jesus was being hyperbolic when he said to cut your hand off and poke your eye out because you still got an eye, you know, and it's still going to happen because the problem is the heart. So thank you, Council of Nicaea. That's not the solution. So what, what sort of approach does work? Well, here's the thing. Pornography is already emasculating our men. It is. It's what the results show. So what is the solution? Well, what we're hearing from non-Christian circles is, what if we put some boundaries around it? What if it's like a fire in a fireplace? As long as it's kept in the right place, it'll be good and right, but outside of that, it could cause destruction. The only safe sex is within a covenant covering. That deserved a much more enthusiastic response than that. The only safe sex is within a covenant covering. It is one of, if not the, best gift that God has given us. It's right there at the top. And it is also the worst idol with the most far-reaching destructive capabilities. 
And I have watched as it has wreaked incredible destruction in people's lives. So let me give you a challenge coming out of this. Let's start with consumption this week for everybody in here. Feel free to do whatever you want with this challenge, but here's a challenge. Number one, check every movie you watch with plugged in or common sense media. I wanted to watch Oppenheimer real bad. Um, that's our thing. Didn't want to watch Barbie. That was dumb. But Oppenheimer, like historical fiction, we love that. And so like Liz and I, we were looking forward to seeing it. And then somebody told me, man, there is so much stinking nudity in that. Let me tell you about me. I don't know about other men, but I'll tell you about me. When it comes to movies, I have a pretty high tolerance for violence. Like I can watch a movie with violence in it. I don't think it makes me violent. I do think watching John Wick shoot a bunch of people in the head does dehumanize and maybe make me a little angrier. I don't know, but maybe. But I have a pretty high tolerance for violence. I have a lower tolerance for language, right? Like if I watch a lot of stuff with a lot of language, sometimes my words change. And I have absolutely zero tolerance for nudity. If I see nudity, it does something to me. And so we didn't watch Oppenheimer in spite of the fact that I wanted to watch Oppenheimer. And this is, we, we didn't watch it when the kids weren't around. It wasn't about that. It's about me. It's about us. It's about our relationship and what it does. So whether it, kids are involved or not, check every movie you watch with PluggedIn.com or Common Sense Media, at least this week. Just do it for a week and see what happens, okay? All right, number two, have an open conversation with your kids about this. Sorry, kids. I love you. But this week's going to be awkward. <laughs> it's got to happen. Because it is happening. They're surrounded by it. I texted all of our parents who have teenagers who will be in the room and said, hey, just so you know, we're talking about sex. And I couldn't say sex because the text message wouldn't allow me to. So I had to go S-E-X. So if you're wondering why I spelled it out, that's why. It wouldn't let me send it otherwise. Uh, so that... But it's happening. Let me tell you this. A part of what made the church blow up in Rome was the church's sexual ethic. Because things had gotten wildly out of whack sexually and morally backwards in Rome. And yet the church, which seemed morally and sexually backward to the rest of the Romans, when, when you witness the, out, the result of that, it was incredibly appealing. And it will be the same today. Young men... If most boys at your school are viewing pornography, be the one who isn't. It will make you very appealing. And young women, what you have seen in pornography is not what sex is. Okay? The female degradation that porn has fed you is not real. You don't have to do that, and that isn't what's ahead of you. It's not real on so many different levels. Finally, I want to talk to the men in here. There are men in this church who are rising up and saying, I am done. I am done. No more. As for me and my house, no more. And if you want to be a part of a group like that and saying no more, I'm done with porn, I'm going to ask you to text me. Text the word ready to the number 417-815-0976. I will be the only person who sees that. It's in the message notes if you want to go back and see it later. And I'll text you back tomorrow and tell you what your next step might be. How do you know if you have an idol in your life? Well, what is the one thing you protect more than anything else? What is the one thing that if I were to stand on stage and say, Jesus Christ wants to exert his authority over this, that you would say, whoa, 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 not that. That's mine. Jesus Christ wants to exert his authority over your digital devices. He wants to exert his authority over your finances. He wants to exert his authority over your bedroom. What is the one thing you would say, not that, not that, that's mine? Because that's where your idol lies. It's like Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings. Here's a clip.
the very thing that was destroying him, he was clinging to. And when Gandalf points it out, he turns on him and calls him out for injustice. Oh, you want this for yourself. And Gandalf has to get all big on him. And he says, I am not trying to hurt you or rob you. I'm trying to help you because this thing is destroying you. Is that not idolatry? It comes back to that Romans chapter 1, verse 25. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. There is one. We have an infinite need to worship. And the moment we put something else there, we put the weight of eternity and infinity on that thing. And that thing collapses under the weight of it and sucks us in and destroys us. There is only one who is eternal. There is only one who is infinitely worthy of that worship. And so the moment that we turn that back to him is the moment when other things begin to move the way they were intended to be. This is why I say worship is a weapon that you can use to fight in advance for a preemptive strike on the attack of the enemy. Because as you lead in worship, it puts things in their proper place And that thing which cannot bear the weight, which will destroy us, gets put in its proper place as well. Terrible God, but a beautiful gift. The greatest gifts make the worst gods. And so today, I want to end by worshiping. And I believe that there's a challenge for us in this. And I know it can be awkward to talk about sex. Let me just tell you, we've got to, because it is all around us. I've already talked to my son, who is 10 years old, had no idea what I was talking about, about pornography, because it will not be in our house. That's got to start with me. That starts with me.